This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. My name is Sheila Ayler. For those of you that I haven't met yet, um, I'm a member here at Apex. I have been for about 15 years. This is my last Sunday to address you as a lay member of the church because this coming Saturday I will be licensed as a local pastor in the United Methodist Church. Yeah. So it's been a a real interesting journey, and I'm so excited about it. I'm even more excited to know that I'll be right back here in my home church uh, working with congregational care. So it's a, a great time for me, and I'm excited to come alongside you. This is my first time to preach in the contemporary space. I told Corey and Tim this morning when we met earlier, I was a little nervous about doing this because I grew up in a traditional church with pulpits and candles and stoles and robes, and it was different. So I came in here before anybody got here this morning. None of the lights were on. Nobody was here. And I got to tell you, this space is amazing. It's a real sacred space. It's quiet. It's loving. It's open. I love this space. So I'm delighted to be here with you. And my anxiety level just went down. So I feel much better being here. But bear with me through it, because it is my first time, and there's no pulpit to hang on to. So (laughs) we'll get through this. I realized this morning I made a mistake getting dressed. That was at about 6 o'clock this morning. I should have had on red today. Anybody know why? Pentecost, exactly. Um, In the other service, Tim actually had on his red stole, so you know it's Pentecost when he wears red. This is the day that we celebrate uh, about 50 days after Passover, after Easter, when the Holy Spirit came down. The tongues of fire, the flames, the Holy Spirit descending. We recognize this in the book of Acts as the really beginning of our church here on earth to do God's work. So as we celebrate the day of Pentecost and of God coming to us through the Holy Spirit, let us go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those that are gathered with us today. I ask that you remind us all that the Holy Spirit is with us, that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, is present right here in this room. We ask that you allow us to encounter that Spirit in any way that works for us. That through a humble spirit, we recognize you in song, in prayer, in scripture, however it takes to move us closer to you. Lord, I ask that you use me now, use my words, that as I share your word, that what comes from me will be acceptable in your sight and pleasing. In Christ's holy name we pray, amen. We're starting a summer series on the book of Judges. Last week, Tim um, in this service and Greg Moore in the other service set the stage for a study of biblical leaders. Now this is truth time. There are about 13 judges in the book of Judges. But I wonder how many of you actually know a story about a judge in the Bible? Don't see a hand. How about if I ask you, do you know the story of Samson? What do you know about him? 
his hair, right? You know the story of Samson getting his hair cut. What you don't realize is Samson was a judge. That's his story in the book of Judges. Through this series, you're going to hear about Samson, but you're also going to hear about uh, several others. We have a slide that will show us a list of some of the names, and let me tell you, they're hard to pronounce. I worked a long time on this sermon just to pronounce the names. But you're going to see uh, sermons about, I think it's eight of the 13 judges that you're going to hear of. Samson is just one of them. The other stories may not be as dramatic as Samson, but there's good theology in all of them, so I think you will learn a lot and enjoy it. I want to set the stage a little bit for us in, in history and get us in the right place for this series. Remember, there's BCE and CE, before the Common Era and the Common Era. So that's before Christ was born and afterwards. So the older the date, the further back it happened. The Shang Dynasty started in China in about 1450. That was about the same time that we had the first Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, and the exodus began of the children out of bondage in, Israel, um, in Egypt, headed for Israel. Ten Commandments came along about 1440 during that 40-year journey. The journey ended in about 1400 when Joshua took the Israelites into Cana. And for about the next 50 years, the Israelites spent time trying to settle into <clears throat> that promised land. Now back in Egypt, the pharaohs were still running Egypt. And from 50, uh, 1360 to 1350, that's when King Tut was in charge. <clears throat> By 1350, though, things weren't so great in the Promised Land. Joshua had died, the people did not have a leader, and chaos had erupted. This is when the era of the judges began. They ruled from 1350 to about the year 1000, and that's when the period of the great kings began. That's when we got Saul and David and Solomon. So the era of the judges lasted about 350 years. They were ruled by 13 different judges. And it's between the period that sits between the end of the 40-year track in the desert and the beginning of the great kings. So today we're going to begin looking at the first judge, and that is the story of a man named Othniel. And his story is told through the Word of God, and that's found in Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. So hear now the Word of the Lord. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, forgetting the Lord their God, and worshiping the Baals and the Ashrams. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of King Cushuron Rishathaim of Aram, and Naharaim. And the Israelites served Cushan Rushathaim for eight years. But when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the Israelites who delivered them, Othniel, son of Kenaz, get these right, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. 
He went out to war, and the Lord gave King Cushan Rishathaim, the king of Aram, into his hands, so that the land had rest for 40 years. And then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, Tim and Greg gave you an overview of what the state of affairs looked like during this time period in what we now call the land of Israel. The Israelites had begun to settle into the new land, but because there were people already living there, the Israelites needed Joshua to lead them into battle after battle after battle after battle to take possession of the land. As Greg so eloquently put it, blood drips from the book of Joshua when he tells these stories. The people were successful in their battles because they obeyed God and they followed Joshua's lead. But after Joshua died for the first time, they didn't have a leader. And that's when God sent Othniel, the first of the judges, to lead his people. We know very little about Othniel, He only appears in scripture three times. The first is in the first chapter of Judges when Othniel's uncle, Caleb, offers his daughter to a man who could easily defeat Caleb's enemy. So Othniel, who was the son of Kizan, who was Caleb's younger brother, went to war, won the war, delivered the enemy back to his uncle, and was rewarded by marrying his cousin. We then hear about him in the passage that we just read, where he became a judge. And we hear one other time in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Chronicles, where they tell us that Othniel had two sons. So it sounds like his life didn't have much drama if you put aside all the battles, the blood and the gore. Um, not a lot of drama. Like many other leaders that we know from biblical times, there was no drama around his calling to go do God's work, like we know uh, Moses and uh, Jonah experienced. And we don't hear about any great moral failures like Moses and David put us through. So, in fact, this guy sounds kind of like the ideal guy. He was a man of faith, courage, integrity, strength, honesty. It kind of sounds like the guy you'd like your daughter to marry. You know? But remember that the Israelites had previously been led by Moses and by Joshua. These were men of incredibly strong faith. So God's sending another leader, a spiritual man, a man of great character. This makes perfect sense. I recently read two good books. One of them is called Seven Men, the number seven, and the other one is Seven, the number seven women. These are books that review the lives of 14 people who are considered to be incredibly strong leaders and of great character. Most of them are from recent history. They're people of courage, of integrity, leaders that we can look up to, and not just for the reasons that we typically look up to someone. They display traits that show character of a leader. We have a list of some of these traits that show up in this book. 
We hear about humility of George Washington when he turned down being king of America to set up a democracy instead. We learn about obedience from Wilberforce, who turned down the position of prime minister of England instead to follow God's calling to abolish slavery in England. We learn about forgiveness from Corey Ten Boom, who, was, um, who survived the concentration camps in World War II, but then lived to meet one of her captive guards face to face and learn how to forgive him. We learn about courage from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who left the safety of America and went back to Germany and was eventually executed for a role in trying to um, eliminate Hitler. We learned about strength from Jackie Robinson, his strength in not fighting back against the racism that he faced as the first black major league baseball player was an untold level of human strength. We learned about resolve from Chuck Colson. You may remember him from Watergate where he went to prison for his deeds. But while he was there, he found Christ and eventually came back and held on to a promise and fulfilled a promise back to his fellow inmates and started the prison fellowship program. All of these leaders didn't just talk about their faith. They lived it out, their faith in God. They had a deep abiding faith that they were only able to succeed in all these diverse ways through the power of God who sustained them. While these are amazing people, they were all human. They made mistakes just like we did. Some of them, their failures were public, like a Chuck Colson. There were times when they questioned the authority of God, but we know none of them were perfect. There is only one perfect man, and that is Jesus Christ. But these people were faithful, just like the Bible tells us about hundreds of people who were faithful to God's calling. Now, I don't question that Othniel was a man of great faith. That's pretty obvious from his character. But my question is, why was Othniel needed? We have another graphic that I'll share with you. Um, this is a graphic that Tim used in his sermon as well. Um, this shows the story of the book of Judges. And it is a continual story all the way through the book. You'll hear it through all the sermons for the rest of this series. It's a visual depiction of what happened. Starts out, Israel's at peace, and then they disobey God. They cry out. God raises up a deliverer or a judge, and Israel is delivered from their oppression. Israel goes back to peace again, and then it happens all over again. The cycle starts again and again and again. We could jump in at any point in this circle and find some deep theology about that particular point. We could talk about how we got there or how we get out of it or what do we need to move to the next point. But the one that intrigues me most is the one that goes from where Israel is at peace to where Israel disobeys. And we could change that from Israel to me, to you, to us, to our nation, to our world. But Israel is the example that we're working off of here. So how, what caused them to move? 
And remember, Joshua had brought them into the promised land. The promised land, y'all, this was the land of milk and honey. They had everything they needed. They were able to defeat their foes. They were blessed to have a place called their own that was blessed by God. Their crops grew, their flocks multiplied. All was well with the world. And then something happened that caused them to leave that wonderful space and become disobedient. So what happened? There's a scripture that I read that we'll go back to, and it's from Judges 3, 7, and it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Asherahs. How do you go from thanking God for all of your blessings, our blessings, their blessings, and all of a sudden forget to worship God? In that time and place, the gods there were the gods of the people they had conquered, the Baals and the Asherans. Scripture says they just forgot. One day they were believers in the true God, the one that sustains them, the one that helps them. And the next day they woke up and forgot. I don't think that's how that happened. Some of you may have heard an earlier sermon that I did where I talked about my calling into the ministry. Music has always played a big part in my life and certainly in this journey where the nudge from God to move forward into a new path. The song that we sang earlier, I asked Corey if we could do this today. It's one of my favorite songs. But the last verse is, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That propensity to wander has always been difficult for me. The very first um, prayer session, prayer retreat that I went to was in 1987. And at the opening session, they asked us to sit quietly, total silence, for 10 minutes and pray continuously. I thought, man, it's a piece of cake. I've been praying all my life. I can do this. Folks, you all have smartphones. I want you to try this sometime. Take one out and set a timer and try to pray continuously for 10 minutes. True confession, I can't do it. Now, I've learned some tools that help me focus now that I can pray better, but it was almost impossible. You know, I start out with thanksgiving and praise for all the blessings. I move on to concerns and cares about the world and our nation and our church and my family and me. And somewhere along the line, I realize that I have just made out the list of what I need to pick up at Publix on the way home. So how many times and in how many ways do you start out being thankful for what God has done for you or given to you and you end up making a grocery list? We come to worship on Sunday morning and we leave here feeling so good, so charged up. And by the time you go to bed that night, you've had an argument with your spouse over the credit card bill and you're not speaking. You brought your kids to Sunday school, had a great lunch, spent quality time with the family that afternoon and then that night. There's a terrible argument over bedtime and everybody ends up in tears and going to bed unhappy. 
You call your parents on that regular Sunday afternoon call, and instead of telling them how much you love them and miss them, you end up hanging up frustrated because either they're not taking care of themselves the way you think they should, or they sent mother, money to your worthless brother again. Those things happen. Little things happen. Sometimes our Sundays become a social obligation. Our fellowship with our other members becomes a social event, just time to hang out. We gradually stop acknowledging that God is the focus and is the center of our lives. That what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're acting is not God-centered. We slip, just a little step. We make a decision at work or at home or in our family life, and we forget to ask God's counsel first before we make that decision. We act in ways that God does not want us to act. These are small steps, things like a little drip of water in a water pipe. The longer it continues, the bigger the drip gets until eventually that pipe bursts. So no, we, we don't forget God. We don't wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm not going to follow God's will anymore. It's just we gradually slip away, one small drip at a time. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is where John Wesley can help us out. Remember, we are Wesleyan. We are Methodist. Wesley came by his name. Honestly, he had a very strong adherence to a strict set of rules on how he should worship and when to pray and when to read scripture and how to meet and how often to meet and how often to take communion. His methodical way of religion is where we get our name from, the Methodist. But all these acts of piety were a way to recognize continual repentance within his life. These acts are how he supported his commitment to follow God through salvation. In the Methodist tradition, we call this sanctification. This is the process of becoming holy. These are the same acts that we use today that help us remember to remember God. So we don't slip away. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There are times when God needs to send us a judge, when we need a deliverer. There are times of crisis and one appears. In the Bible, it was Othniel. Today, it's Bonhoeffer or Robinson or Colson. These people lead through incredible uh, times of courage and sacrifice. These are the times that we need an Othniel. But there are times that we need to be Othniel. There are times we need to step up. We need to lead our family, our workplace, our community. We need to be the hands and feet of Christ. We need to show the world what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. We need to model for our children what it looks like to live as a believer in God. If we go back to the circle, my question to you today is, where are you on this circle? Put your name in the place of Israel. 
Are you living the life of joy and blessings that God promised to you? Or do you feel like you've slipped a little bit? Are you crying out for help? Are you waiting on a deliverer to come and answer your prayers to help you with whatever the issue is, financial issues, marital discord, a feeling loss of hope, some addiction? Just like Israel, we, every one of us, are somewhere on that circle. The good news is that God never leaves the circle. He is with us through every twist and turn of our messy life. When you leave this service today, I hope that you'll take some time this week to find your place in that circle. Just know that the circle continues. You're never stuck in one place. God is always there to help you move to the next place. So if you need help, reach out and find an Othniel. There's someone there to help you. And if you can make your own changes or you can reach out to someone else and help them, then go and be an Othniel to someone. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.